Amen. Thank you, Phil, for that beautiful song. And I don't know how you got all that in there, but is, uh, the, the chorus really does express a great truth, isn't it? Jesus is hope when there is no hope. He's waiting right there at the end of my rope. So thank you for reminding us of that. And we talked about in the deacons meeting, actually. Uh, Robert did a devotion about this word hope. And you know, hope is more than just wishful thinking we talked about. It is a settled conviction. It's an assurance based on the truth of God's word. So it's not just a shot in the dark for us as Christians when we say we have hope. We have a settled conviction based on the truth of Scripture. And so Jesus is our hope, and that's about as sure as you can get. Let's look at Psalm 119 tonight. Psalm 119, we're moving, we're making progress, believe it or not. There's 176 verses in this psalm. And tonight we're going to look at two passages in the psalm that really... Uh, talk a lot about the forever Word of God. Of course, the whole psalm really is talking about the Word of God, but it really seems to zero in in these two sections, uh, particularly about how the Word of God is forever. It is eternal. And we're going to think about how the Word of God is really miraculous. It is a wonder in and of itself. So one, Psalm 119, verses 89 to 112 first. Look at uh, Psalm 119, verses 89. We finished last week with verse 88. We're going to look at verses 89 to 112. Let me read this. And this really encompasses three of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So three of the stanzas out of the 22 stanzas. Look at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. All the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp 
unto my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. So in in these verses that we just read, you see this recurring statement about forever. Forever your word is settled in heaven. And then in verse 112, I have inclined my heart to your statutes forever to the very end. The word of God is forever and we are to forever be obedient to it. And that is the way we respond to the forever word of God. Psalm 119 makes it clear that the Bible is unlike any other book. It is the book, isn't it? It is the word of God that is living and active, the New Testament tells us, and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the very center of our being. And the reason it does that is because its ultimate author is God. Its ultimate author is the eternal one. He used people to write the scripture, but ultimately the author is God himself. It came from his heart through these people that he inspired to write. But as one person has noted, it may be that the availability of the Word of God to us has actually hurt us more than it's helped us. Or at least it seems that way sometimes. When you think about it, we have it available to us in multiple translations. Talking about here in America. We have it in multiple forms. We can read it the traditional way. We can listen to it from a recording or uh, on our phones now or, or through the television. There's so many ways we can listen to it. Or we can even see it dramatized. We can hear it taught at church. Listen to it taught on the radio. Watch it being taught on television. We have so many ways of seeing and hearing the word of God. But has that increased in America In this generation, is there a greater understanding of the Word of God than there was a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago? Has the availability of more translations and more formats made God's Word more in our hearts than it was of our, our previous generations? I don't think probably any of us would say that it has. And so it's not just a matter of availability. It's really a matter of our availability to God himself and to his word. Are we available to what God wants to say to us? Do we internalize it? Do we have a hunger and a thirst for God's word? Do we have a sense of wonder 
about the Word of God? Or has it become so routine that we, it has lost its specialness to us? We should never lose a sense of wonder about the miraculous nature of God's Word. The very sense that every time you pick it up and open it, something powerful is about to happen. Because this is God speaking to us. It's not just words on a page. But it's something that God created and gave to us. And it has power in and of itself because God inspired it. And he then takes it and uses it to speak to our hearts. And so verse 89, as this section starts off, it just says, the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It conveys the sense of unchangeableness. Now there's a theological word for this. It's the word immutable. Immutable. The immutability of God himself means God doesn't change. Malachi 3, 6 tells us basically, I am the Lord and I do not change. God does not change in his essence and in his nature from day to day and month to month and year to year. He is God. And so the idea that somehow we are going to alter God is just totally opposite anything that, that the Bible would teach. This uh, smorgasbord religion where people want to make God in their own image and they just want to pick and choose. Well, I'd like some of that and I'd like some of that. But, the, you know, the rest of it I don't really care for. I don't care for the broccoli and I don't care for the asparagus. But I really would like some of that. That approach to God and to the Bible is foreign to the understanding of who God is. He is immutable. He does not change. And neither does his word. Your word is settled in heaven. It is settled. God has written it and given it to us. He has caused it to be written. He's inspired it. And even before it was inspired and written down on paper, it was already settled in heaven what God was going to give us. And so it does not change. It is immutable. And so that is what we're butting up against in our generation today. People are approaching God's word to see if it is worthy of them. Is this worthy of my life? Is, it, is the Bible worthy of my lifestyle? Does it affirm me? And if it doesn't, it's to be rejected. If it's not affirming of me and who I want to be, that isn't the purpose of God's Word. God's Word is to, there to change us. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. We are to change by the power of God. And so the origination of God's Word is that it is from God. And by its very nature, then, you can't, you can't have a Bible that is just take it or leave it, changing with the, with the days, with the whims of the culture, or whatever's the latest fad. You can't have a Bible like that, or you have no Bible. You have no Word of God. It isn't the Word of God 
if it changes all the time. Because God doesn't change. And so this is what we as Christians are standing up against the tide of today. And we must do it with love and trying to help people to see that God loves them. But God isn't going to change for them. And neither is his word. And whether that means there will be very few who will find the way of life. That's what Jesus said was going to happen. We don't want to see that. We want to see the many. We want to see the crowd rushing down the way of salvation. But Jesus didn't say it was going to be that way. And that's because he knows the human heart. We want God to change. And we want his word to change to fit us, not the other way around. But he'll never do that because he would cease to be God if he did. And that's, in essence, what we have a lot of people wanting to do. They want to create their own God. They want to create God in their own image, which is an idol. It is not God. It's an idol. So idol worship is not something that is foreign to 2019. It's going on all around us. People are seeking to make God in their own image or create their own God who will say and do what they want to hear. But that isn't God. The Bible is given to us by one who claims to be unchangeable and therefore the word of God is settled. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For all are your servants. And so as we think about God's word, its origination is from the very God himself who is unchangeable. Billy Graham said the fact that God is infinite makes the study of his word a lifetime occupation. And it is, isn't it? You give yourself over to God's word. You don't get done with it. It's not like a, a, a textbook that you read or a, a novel that you read. Well, I've read that. I'm done with that. You're never done with the word of God. It's never done with you. It's a lifetime occupation. Because it is infinite, it is eternal, from the eternal one. And then the transforming power of God's word is spoken of in verses 97 to 104 that we looked at. Your, you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I wonder what would happen if a, a young person took the Bible to school with them and said to the teacher, well, the Bible tells me that I'm smarter than you are. I have more understanding than all my teachers. The sad thing is it's probably true in a lot of cases. The truth is you may not have, you know, what, what people might call book learning uh, that goes beyond the teachers. But as far as wisdom, understanding of what life is about, why we're here, 
and what God wants to do with our lives. The person who has no formal education whatsoever, and yet they know the Word of God. They are wiser than all the teachers, all the learned ones who don't know Christ. And you probably have had the experience in your life. You've known some people who didn't have a lot of what you would say education, formal education, but yet they were some of the wisest people you ever knew, but they loved the Lord. They knew Him. And they believed His Word. And God's Word had given them great wisdom. And that's what He wants to do in each of our lives. Because we know his word. I understand more than the ancients, it says. And so you can be very young and have great understanding and know more than all the ancients because you know God and his word. R.C. Sproul said it is fashionable in some academic circles to exercise scholarly criticism of the Bible. In so doing, scholars place themselves above the Bible And seek to correct it. If indeed the Bible is the word of God. Nothing could be more arrogant. It is God who corrects us. We don't correct him. We do not stand over God. But under God. And so when you approach the Bible. You do so with that understanding. If you approach it rightly. You approach it that it is God's word and you are standing under his leadership, waiting to be taught by him. The wisdom of God always far surpasses the wisdom of man. And the only way you'll get the wisdom of God is through his word. And then it's illuminating power, which we read about verses 105 to 112 and there's that great verse your word thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path kids say that in bible school every year it is isn't it your word is a lamp unto my feet it has illuminating power and that's why we need to open it and let it speak to us let god speak to us through his word because God will illuminate our walk in this world. We walk, our walk is the way we live, our course of life. And it's hard to walk in the dark, isn't it? In utter darkness. Uh, It's a scary thing when you don't know what the next step is going to bring. Because you can't see your way. But God's Word illuminates the path. We may not be able to see all the way to the end of the path, but it at least illuminates the next step that we need to take. We're not stepping in the darkness. We're stepping in the light. And eventually, that leads us all the way home. It leads us home to God. As Alexander McLaren said, he who has the Holy Spirit in his heart and the Scriptures in his hands has all he needs. The Holy Spirit in your heart and the Scripture in your hand. And you really have all you need to get through life. He went on, O blessed holy book, the Bible, for there is no other book wherein the author who wrote it is always present with you, ever ready to explain what he wrote. 
Isn't that an interesting thought? So unlike any other book, the author is with us every time we read the product. Every time we read the Bible, the author, through the Spirit of God, is with us. And as we read what he inspired, the author himself is teaching us what it means. Applying it to our lives. And that's why it's ever fresh. It's ever new. You can read a scripture, a passage of scripture today, and God will use it to impress a particular thing upon your mind and heart. And then you might come back to it six months from now, and it might, it's not that it, it totally, it, not that it changes, but your situation changes. My situation changes. And so the Spirit applies it each day, each moment, so that it is new and fresh every morning, every day. And so it is a living and active book. Its nature is described as we look at verses 129 now to 136. It says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. There it is again. Understanding to the simple. That makes me feel better. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Wow, that's a statement, isn't it? Does it break your heart to see so many people in this country around us who are so ignorant, so completely devoid of any understanding or any interest in God's Word. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. It should because we know how important the Word of God is. And it ought to cause us to to mourn to mourn for our fellow citizens, the people in this country and around the world who don't know Christ and who are not obedient. They may have heard the gospel. They may know the word of God, but they're not keeping it. They're not not obeying it. Its very nature, you see, is that it is so special, so wonderful, so miraculous that it ought to cause us to have great sense of mourning that there aren't more people who know it and who open their heart to it. Wonderful means, in, in essence, it is from another world. It is too wonderful. Your testimonies are wonderful. It is beyond being able to be explained, really, or to be able to be comprehended. It has a supernatural quality to it because it does. God's Word is wonderful. And the Savior who came and gave His life for us is more than wonderful, isn't He? 
Jesus, who fulfills all of the Scripture, the living Word, He is wonderful too. And then in the last section, verses 137 to 144, its righteousness is spoken of. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me, consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. And so the psalmist says, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright. Righteous are your judgments. The word reflects the righteous character of God. The God who gave it. The God who inspired it. And therefore, it is righteous because he is righteous. It reflects the faithfulness of God who gave us his word. And it reflects the unchanging nature, as we've already talked about, of the God who gave it. Do you ever feel small? That's what the psalmist says, isn't it? Verse 141, I am small and despised. You may go through life feeling like, well, I'm just pretty small compared to everything else in this world. What do I matter? What does my life matter? But then he says, yet I do not forget your precepts. I may not be much, but what I am, I'm going to be surrendered to you, Lord. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to obey your word. I may be small and the world may despise me, but I am going to follow you. That's the heart that God wants in us. And of course the truth is, we're all small when we stand before the Almighty One, right? We all are. And yet He loves us anyway. And He's given us His Word because He loves us. Because He wants to draw us to Himself. And He wants to show us what He has for our lives. That we might honor Him. And love Him and glorify Him. And so, you may feel small and despised. I hope you don't go through life thinking that negatively all the time. But I think we all feel that way sometimes. But let's just put our shoulder to the wheel and do what God tells us to do. And let's honor His precepts. Let's not forget His Word. Let's be obedient to Him. To His honor and glory. Pointing people beyond ourselves to Him. And it speaks of the purity of God's Word. Your Word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. The Word of God is perfectly pure. No mixture of evil. No mixture of error. 
no mixture of anything that is outside the character of God himself. Your word is pure. And that means we can come to him and his word and know that he will speak to our hearts and change us and make us what he wants us to be. We don't have purity in and of ourselves. But our purity comes when we surrender to the God who will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we stand in the righteousness of Christ. And his word will lead us to that. It has such purity that it can be trusted and believed and obeyed without fear. And so the righteousness of God's word. It is the wonder of God's word. The miracle of God's word. It is the forever word of God. What does Isaiah 48 say? The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God shall stand forever. It is the forever word of God. Let's stand on it and believe it and let God use us to share his love and power with others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We have passed over these verses so quickly. There's so much here. Each verse is a gold mine. And so, Lord, help us to take this great psalm and continue to meditate upon it. You speak to our hearts as we open our minds to you. But Lord, help us to never forget that your word is settled. It is not going to change. And you don't change. But in your purity and righteousness and holiness, you, ch- you will change us so that we might become consistent with who you are. We thank you that you forgive us And cleanse us and make us what we can never be on our own. So in this time of invitation, Lord, as you shine your searchlight of Scripture on our hearts, if there is a decision we need to make for you, it may be to confess a sin to you. It may be to submit our hearts to you, an attitude. It may be to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my life. Forgive me and make me your own child. Whatever you lead us to do in these moments, Lord, help us to be changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our invitation hymn, and I will be standing up front.